The title of today's sermon is Aging, a Side Effect of Living. There's a question there. And see, a side effect is usually a negative reaction to a medical drug or a treatment. So is life a drug or medical treatment? I guess that's a bit of a stretch, but if we live enough years, we are destined to suffer the negative side effects we see on TV or in the movies or the other media. Are we also destined to join in the expensive battle against aging as the medical industry continues to gearing up to meet the demands of an aging baby boom generation and beyond? Well, it's true that if we live long enough, we inevitably accumulate some less than favorable baggage, let's call it. I don't need to list all of it for you. Just watch any weekday network evening news program and you'll see commercials touting treatments for most of the usual suspects of the afflictions of the seniors among us. And by the way, those ads always urge you to ask your doctor about this or that medication. I don't know about you, but if I need to clue my doctor in about the latest and best treatments for what ails me, I, I'm going to get another doctor. <laughs> Full disclosure here, they say that all politics are local, and for me, sermon topics are the same gravitating toward the most pressing issues around um, myself. Well, I am a card-carrying senior citizen, gray of hair, wrinkled of face, and most other areas, <laughs> a bit more frail than I'd like, and I've consumed more than a few of those evening news pharmaceuticals. By year's end, my age will begin with the number seven. I probably should be good and angry about the side effects of aging, and the less than optimum ways our society deals with it in general. But not so much as you might think. And we'll get to the reasons why a little later. But first, let's look at a few of the facts about aging in our country and I suspect most of the Western world. Aside from minor irritants like the evening news and its medical reminders of our accumulated ailments, aging has a very negative connotation in our society that is hard to deny. Otherwise, why would we spend so much money on anti-aging? We're spending an estimated 65 to 70 billion a year on various attempts to stop or at least slow down our natural aging processes. And the spending continues in an upward spiral every year. We baby boomers were born in record numbers between 1946, 1964, and we're now between 57 and 76. We heartily consume creams for wrinkles, supplements for our memory retention, when we can remember to take them. <laughs> Pills for arthritic joints, surgeries for our sagging areas that used to be taut, and on the plentiful supply of new body parts to replace the ones with wear and tear that slow us down or worse. And on and on. Why do we care so much about anti-aging? Well, in part, it might have something to do with the increasing effects of ageism in our society. The Anti-Ageism Task Force of the International Longevity Center produced a study on ageism and why we should fight it as a matter of human and civil rights. Published by Columbia University, it is filled with many of the facts and figures I'll be referencing from here on out this morning. Now, as most of you know, our theme this summer is living our mission. So matters of human and civil rights will no doubt take center stage many times and rightfully so. Our mission statement here at UC UCL says it most eloquently and with passion. 
kindling the flame of love and justice to nurture and heal ourselves, each other, and our world. In living our mission, we must strive to do better and encourage our fellow citizens to do the same. So why the fight against ageism and why now? Well, that study I mentioned, it identifies a revolution of longevity. In the 20th century, 100 years, the industrialized world, of which we are not only a part, but a driving force, gained some 30 additional years of average lifespan, greater than had been attained during the preceding 5,000 years of human history. So many more of us are living more years than our ancestors, to such an extent that we are, more and more, viewing our older citizens, who inevitably consume more goods and services than they produce in their latter years, as a drain on society, to be tolerated at best and at worst abused or neglected. In the past few years, we've seen examples like the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, where nursing homes and neighborhoods filled with the elderly were abandoned in favor of others. The current pandemic has exposed many understaffed and ineffective elder care institutions where the elderly perished in far greater numbers than the general population. And older patients have been shuttled to the back of the line for treatment, being seen as more expendable. Older workers are often discriminated against by employers for various reasons, too numerous to list entirely, but they include our society's general assumption, fueled significantly by media stereotypes, that younger employees are more productive, more attractive to customers and clients, and less likely to miss work due to health concerns. Then there's the cost of health insurance, borne most often in our society by employers paid or subsidized policies with increased pricing by age that significantly increases the cost of retaining older workers. In a society without government-funded health care for all, older citizens join the poor and underemployed in bearing the brunt of unequal treatment from our health care institutions, at least until Medicare kicks in at age 65. Then there's the matter of health care discrimination. Now, the study I referenced earlier, they had facts like 35% of doctors erroneously consider an increase in blood pressure to be a normal process of aging. Only 10% of people six, age 65 and older ever receive appropriate screening tests for bone density, colorectal and prostate cancer, glaucoma, just to name a few. The list goes on. There's age discrimination in the media, in the entertainment media, while 20% of the population now is 65 or older, only 2% of primetime TV characters are in that age range. Even further, we see gender-based ageism in the media. Only 11% of male characters between age 50 and 64 are categorized as old. The percentage is doubled for female characters in that range. And only one-third of older characters on TV are women. Our society is, of course, rife with ageist terms like coot, codger, old fart, Geezer, Biddy, Foggy, Fossil. Even in our hospitals, the aged are sometimes referred to with terms such as bed blocker or gomer. G-O-M-E-R stands for get out of my emergency room. And phrases like, who wants to live to be 100? And the response to that is, let's start with the folks who are 99. And then there's the phrase, okay, boomer usually uttered by millennials. Well, 
we'll have to admit that ageism for the younger citizens is also a thing. Millennials, by and large, get a bad rap they do not entirely deserve. But one can clearly age out of ageism of the young. Now, there are laws against age discrimination in the workplace, but we sometimes see the subtle ways that employers can skirt the rules. With job listings like energetic person sought for young company or five to seven years experience. Add up all these ageist issues and then multiply out with the baby boomers aging in record numbers and economic problems abound. The stability of our age protective government programs, chiefly Social Security and Medicare, are threatened by underfunding from a nearly totally negligent parade of the elected representatives we have sent to the Congress for several decades. The next generations, faced with the tax load of funding this baby boom bubble over the next 20 to 40 years, face pressures of their own. With unprecedented debt from college tuition loans, underemployment, and by that I mean shortage of meaningful employment, continued inability to recover from the Great Recession, and continuing pandemic-related problems, including skyrocketing costs for housing, food, fuel, and just about everything else. Ageism exists, and not surprisingly, it affects segments of our population very unevenly. Remember earlier I mentioned my lack of extreme anger about many of these issues? One major reason is that compared to many of our citizens, I've had a privileged life, which could sound a bit off for someone who grew up raised by a single parent, living in a small house in a small town in central Kentucky, we rented for $50 a month. We had barely enough money to scrape by, but still, we were privileged. My mother was a college grad who worked hard and always encouraged us to learn and to do better. I was able to afford a college education at a nearby state university by working lots of part-time jobs because tuition and books were so much cheaper then. I was never discriminated against due to my skin color, my religion or lack thereof, my country of origin or my gender. And so I've been much luckier than many as I face the aging process. Those of us who can afford health insurance, housing, anti-aging treatments and the like without a huge debt load hanging over us can get by. Those who are poor, many times minorities or immigrants, face a much more difficult path as they age without the resources of the privileged. I'm not so much angry about myself as disappointed in a society at large which continues to ignore the weakest and neediest among us while subsidizing the wealthiest and strongest. As you use, we profess to support the inherent worth and dignity of all persons. Our demands for justice in our world must, first and foremost, include those who face unfair obstacles in their daily lives. Those, lo those obstacles made even more humane among our elderly who struggle without the tools to compete and survive in our society. We must insist on an end to age discrimination in all of our institutions, and we must strive to elect government representatives who will work together toward funding adequate programs for old and young alike, so that all are housed and fed and clothed and have access to truly affordable health care. That's how we live our mission. We become the gentle, angry people we have sung about, and we get active. While we advocate for the less fortunate, 
It can also take the time to reach out to our older neighbors who find themselves more and more alone in life and isolated. Like Chris sang in the John Prine song, we need to find the old folks who grow lonesome and start by saying, hello in there. And how are you? And how can we help? Could you use some company? Take a little time to think about someone you haven't seen or heard from in a while, regardless of age. Pick up the phone, send an email or a Facebook message. You can find a group that needs volunteers. You'll be glad you did. Okay, so there's a little more to why I'm not particularly as angry as you might expect as I approach my final years. First, I'm fortunate enough to still be working at a job I like very much. I absolutely love life and I find myself embracing at least some of this process of aging. I firmly believe that it is most definitely not a side effect, but a natural part of a life well lived if you're lucky. I cannot do all of the physical activities I once enjoyed, that's true, but I can still participate in this church, which brings so much loving care. I can enjoy being a grandparent and a great uncle, spoiling youngsters, so much more fun when their parents have to take them home. I can still make a little music with friends and with my chorus. I can read and occasionally write and keep up with the news, good and bad, and reach out to those in power to offer the best advice I know how. And I can look to the wisdom of those who have aged before me and mostly appreciate the humor in that wisdom. That helps to maintain an attitude of gratitude for I really do feel lucky these days. As George Burns said in his later years, I'm very pleased to be here. Let's face it, at my age, I'm very pleased to be anywhere. Or there's Oliver Wendell Holmes who said, old age is always 15 years older than I am. <laughs> One of my favorites is for George Bernard Shaw. You don't stop laughing when you grow old. You grow old when you stop laughing. Another recommendation, and this is something that would benefit all of us, I think. I first heard this in an odd place from gentleman named Woody Hayes, who was the old football coach at Ohio State University years ago. He gave a speech at a youth seminar I attended way back in 1970 in Columbus. He said he never actually learned much from folks in his own age range, but from those who were much older and much younger. And I find more and more that this is true, especially when a, a new gadget comes down to my possession and really need a teenager. <laughs> One of the reasons for choosing the, uh, the Tony Bennett, K.D. Lang song for our gathering music, in addition to being a lovely, poignant love song, it's such a delightful collaboration of performers, performers of different generations coming together to produce great music. I mean, Tony Bennett's he's 96, and just as, as late as last fall, he did, a, he did a performance including Lady Gaga, where, I mean, the man can't remember what he did 15 minutes ago, but he put him on, you put him on the stage and start playing the music, and he just, he, he's, a, he's a great example. And in my 20 years as a barbershop singer, I have felt such joy in singing with older and much younger folks. We've always worked together so well to make harmony. And we can do that outside of the musical world as well. What's perhaps my favorite quote comes from the late Satchel Paige, who played baseball into his 50s. How old would you be if you didn't know how old you was? Age is in many ways just a number. 
as long as attitude wins out. As the poet writer Ogden Nash said, you are only young once, but you can stay immature forever. My wife will confirm that I've been pretty immature the whole time we've been together, but <laughs> that's where the fun is. And one final thing, and I, that's the real reason I think that we fight aging so much, and it's the obvious one. None of us get out of this thing alive. And the fear of death, I think, lies at the heart of all of our fears. Many religions promise an afterlife in everlasting paradise or something similar. Some promise an everlasting hell if we're not good enough in life. But the possibility of a heaven helps to ease the pain of anticipating our own passage from life. I don't have a strong opinion about life after death, but I do think about it a little more these days. Sort of like the actor-comedian W.C. Fields, an avowed atheist who in his later years was once discovered by an associate to be reading a Bible. Asked why he of all people would be reading that book, he responded, looking for loopholes. <laughs> I do believe there are loopholes. And they begin with loving our neighbors and treating folks as we would want to be treated, with dignity and respect. Living our mission and our seven UU principles there are enough loopholes wide enough we can drive a truck through. So let us journey there together. In conclusion, we'll all be better off when we follow our first UU principle and respect the inherent worth and dignity of all persons, regardless of age. When we assume best intentions by all, we begin to react with best intentions and move toward each other as friends, not enemies.